Hey guys, this is Brian Jodis with Pick Up The Six Podcasts, and today is Medal of Honor Day in America. I'm on the USS Yorktown in Charleston, spending the day with my friends at the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, and taking a few minutes to talk to living recipients of the Medal of Honor. This is Master Sergeant Leroy Petrie. Brian Jodis back with Pickup Six Podcast. We're on the USS Yorktown in Charleston, South Carolina. Master Sergeant Leroy Petrie joins me now. And man, just an incredible day, right? To be here, to be with your fellow recipients, to be on this amazing vessel. What's this day mean for you? Oh, today, today is uh, special for me because uh, I, I get to hang out with my fellow recipients and we don't always get to see each other, but when we do, it's, it's special. We realize that we're gonna see each other the rest of our lives and we become like family and so it's uh it's like reuniting with family yeah. and you get to shake hands and you also get an opportunity to engage with the community and the veterans and the military that come out and tell them about what we're doing and a lot of people don't know that recipients are even alive yeah and so we get to tell them that we are alive and we're out there doing positive impacts in our communities and across the country Today is March the 25th. It is designated as Medal of Honor Society, or medal, excuse me, it's designated as Medal of Honor Day and our great friends at the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, a huge part of just putting this day of activity on here. And you serve as the president uh, for that. So tell me a little bit about that experience then we'll talk a little bit more after that. I was elected last September uh, by, the, by the other recipients at our convention and it's, it's a humbling honor. Uh, one, you, you get to pass the reins uh, our older generations have been doing it for a number of years, and I've been a member of the society for about, well, 11 years, mm -hmm. and I figured it was my turn to uh, take one for the team and uh, let let them sit back and relax while we take some of the leadership roles and also bridge the uh, younger generation with the older and get some of the younger recipients more active in the, the society. We're gonna talk about May the 26th, 2008 here in a moment, but to be able to sit in the office before today's activities happen, and General Livingston and Colonel Marm and Staff Sergeant Melvin Morris, to sit with those guys and just chat with them, that that generation before, I, I know you just have to cherish that experience. I, I love to listen. Um, those, those guys were my heroes growing up. They still are. And to be able to listen to some of their experiences and what it was like when they were part of the society at a younger age and uh, memories that they shared uh, when there was a lot more recipients. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, but they also mentor us and help us if there's questions I have that I don't understand something, I know I could always turn to them and reach out and they'll point me in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing to get to spend some time with them. We've been very fortunate on our podcast to have long conversation with Melvin for Barney Barnum and just hear their story and and to, to kind of go back in time with them into that era is pretty incredible. And I know it's something that you guys get to do quite a bit. Another fun moment sort of behind the scenes was you found like an old school pack of like hero trading cards, basically in the archives. Tell me what you found down there. I, I, I um, well, there was a lot of uh, stuff on media that I saw that it was talking about the uh, Desert Storm mm -hmm. uh, baseball cards. Had them as a kid growing up. Uh, and so I was talking uh, to, to uh, our staff and our historian. I said, you know what would be cool is if we did baseball cards of recipients. And she said, yeah. oh, we have some up in the boxes up top. And she showed them to me last time I was here. And so with uh, some of the other recipients, I wanted to share it with them because they didn't know they existed mm -hmm. either. And, uh, 
I, we ended up digging through a lot of the boxes and looking at different artifacts that we had. And I was like, man, I could spend the whole day in here just looking at these yeah. things. Yeah. And it, it, it is uh, some stuff that can be rotated through our museum and through other museums across the country. Yeah. May the 26th, 2008, a day in which gallantry for you on the battlefield ultimately ends in uh, the Medal of Honor uh, being awarded to you and placed around your neck. What do you remember from that fateful day for you? I remember it all. Uh, it was it was a tough day. Um, we did lose one of our guys that day, Christopher Gaithercole. But I remember waking up that morning, and uh, normally we operate during nighttime, and so during the day we'll check email, go work out, do our whatever activities we have to do. Sort of standard stuff of the day. Yeah, and we were in op 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 uh, opposite uh, cycles, so. I went into their, our planning bay and I was checking my email on my laptop. There was only one other person across the room from me, an officer on top guard, and all of a sudden he jumps up from behind his laptop. He says, Leroy, go wake up the pilots. Didn't even ask why, I just went and did it. I knew something was going on. and I went and woke up my guys and said, hey, get your stuff ready. There might be something going on. And check your stuff. And as we went back, uh, we started planning, and shortly thereafter, we're executing the mission. We're going out on Chinook helicopters. As soon as we touch down, we're taking fire, coming out of this uh, rural field out in the open. Politically correct term, we neutralize the threat. Sure. And uh, as we're clearing the, the enemy combatant, uh, we hear over the radio one of our younger squad leaders went to the wrong compound, and they're correcting it and going across to the, the right one. And I said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to provide overwatch. And, for them and the platoon leader said go for it and I was the last guy as they entered this compound and they went across the compound and started clearing a two-story structure in the corner and adjacent to it was a small little uh, about seven foot by ten foot wide uh, little building and as they entered I stayed in the doorway and I said give me another guy we need to clear this courtyard and whatever's mm -hmm. in the adjacent building didn't even look. As soon as I got a tap up on the shoulder, I knew I had somebody. We started moving. I saw two guys as we were running across the open area, two guys in my peripheral vision, uh, just spraying AK-47s from the hip, probably 20 feet away. Yeah. And uh, I felt the bullet penetrate my upper thigh on my left thigh. It felt like a sledgehammer hitting me. I had never been shot. Yeah. And it hurt. And I, I knew it, I was shot, but uh, mentally I said, got to keep moving get out of the kill zone before you get hit with more rounds the guy behind me got shot just below his armpit we found out later it was about a quarter of an inch from going over his plate and it would have punctured his heart his lungs and probably killed him instantly and uh, he didn't he knew he was hit he didn't know how bad and so we both got behind the small building and I said watch that corner I was watching the other corner they're firing around the sides and so I prepped a grenade threw it over as it went off bought us a low and fire uh, at that point, another ranger came running over and I said, hey, watch him, watch that corner. I was on my radio giving our command, hey, we got three wounded guys mm -hmm. and uh, we're still under heavy small arms fire. I'm watching my corner, checking on my guys, watching my corner, doing my checks and radio. And next thing we know, we hear a blast. Kind of knocks those two guys to the ground there turn around they're like what the heck was that and I said they're throwing grenades keep your heads down keep watching those corner that corner and so as I'm watching my corner checking on him one of my checks I turn around and there's a pineapple grenade sitting behind him on the ground and we weren't more than arm's reach away from each other and I knew it wasn't there before we haven't used those yeah. type of grenades in years so I saw it as a threat 
I immediately reached over, I grabbed it, and as I was throwing it away from us, uh, I opened my hand to release it, and as shortly thereafter, it exploded. As I sat back up, my hand was completely gone at the wrist. Like somebody had taken a saw and just cut it off. Uh, the radius and the ulna bone were sticking up about a half an inch. It was bleeding, uh, more of oozing, and uh, the skin was hanging around the sides. I could see the burns, the dirt and debris from the explosives. And it's kind of weird what went in my mind, but I was thinking to myself, why is this thing spraying three feet in the wind like in the Hollywood movie? Sure, like everything you've seen in the movie yeah. before. Right. Like, why is this thing squirting? What's wrong with it? Right. And uh, reality kicked in as, yeah. and I said, okay, I got to take care of this. And because we had great uh, medical training throughout the different courses we went through, I was, and we kept tourniquets on the outside of our kit. Right. I reached down, I knew what to do. I grabbed the tourniquet, tightened it down, stopped the bleeding. Immediately checked on my two guys next to me. Both of them got minor shrapnel. And uh, when, what happened next was uh, one of our first sergeants comes running up and grabs me by my kit, by my shoulder, and he says, come on, we're going to get you out of here. Yeah. And I kind of pushed his arm down. I said, you're not taking me anywhere. You still got to fight. To, to basically uh, neutralize these SOBs behind the building yeah. that are still yeah. laying down fire on us. He saw that I was coherent. I had already started doing self-aid. And he knew that uh, basically engaging the enemy would be the best help he could do for us. Because once the firing's done, then you can take care of the medical sure. side of the house. Sure. So he ran off and uh, to go flank or, or something. And at that point, we're, we're there. And uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if they ran low on ammo or what, but there was another lull in fire. At that point, I was able to grab onto another guy, and we ran to where our casualty collection point was. And you get there, and you're, look, you're looking around, and... You see blood everywhere. They're treating guys over there. The other one's being treated. And one of our medics runs up to me. He goes, hey, Petrie, we need to take a look at you. And I said, I'm good. I already got a tourniquet on my arm. Stop the bleeding. Help those guys. Yeah. He says, well, we got to take a look at your legs. I completely forgot about that. You've been legs. shot. That's right. And what I didn't realize is that it was either one or two bullets, but it penetrated my upper thigh on the left side, exited, and then penetrated the right thigh in and out. And... My pants were soaked in blood all the way to my boots. And you had totally forgotten about it. And I didn't feel any pain, uh, the adrenaline and everything. Uh, my focus was on everyone else. And so uh, mentally I wanted to stay in the fight, but physically I knew I was running out of juice. And so they sat me down, cut off my pants, put tourniquets on my legs, prepped me for Xville. And as they're in the litter and they're taking me up to the, uh, uh, the helicopter landing zone where they were gonna come pick us up, as they're carrying me up this little hill, the other guys are running up to me and as they're carrying me in the litter and saying, hey, you're gonna be all right, you're gonna be all right. And I'm pushing them away with my one good arm and saying, get away from me, go pull security. Right. My right. biggest fear at that point is they're gonna get shot coming to comfort me. Coming to take care of you, sure. Or worse, I'm gonna get shot in this litter where I can't defend myself. Yeah. And so uh, we get up to the edge of the back of the helicopter and they're loading us. And even uh, the guy that was next to me, Sergeant Higgins, he, he said, uh, he's, he's leaning down over me, he's yelling, you saved us, you saved us. And I said, great, man, get on the bird. He's still mission focused, uh, thinking this is a bird, Chinook helicopter, not a small target, and it's a daylight. Yeah. We're still in a combat yeah. zone. And so they, they medevaced us, they took us out to a dirt airfield uh, where our base was. and basically unloaded us from the helicopter. The helicopter went back to help the mission, support the mission, and we waited. Uh, they were treating several of us. Luckily, we had uh, 
PAs that are organic to our unit, and they were taking care of all the casualties. And uh, about 30 minutes later or so, the, the J Mount bird came in, a fixed wing aircraft, uh, basically an airborne hospital. Uh, they could perform basically an open heart surgery. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was on the berth for about another 15, 20 minutes. And, at that point, they had juiced me up pretty good with yeah. uh, meds. Uh, I passed out and I woke up the next day in Germany. If you guys remember, similar aircraft, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Spanky Peterson talked to us about when he rescued Marcus Luttrell. They brought him in on the Payfock. They took Marcus off the Payfock onto the bigger plane where they could then give him medical attention. And that's likely similar kind of aircraft that you run. It's a busy day here. You've got activities to get back to. I'd love to have you back on the show and, and we'll talk at, at length about the moments after that, right? And the weight of carrying that metal with you now and what it means for you. I think that, uh, one thing I do want to share with you is sure. the immediate moments after that, when I woke up in Germany. I woke up in Germany and uh, the nurse was there. I was laying in my bed and she looked at me and she said, are, are you doing okay? How, how are you feeling? I said, I'm, I'm good. And she said, can I get you anything? And I looked at her and I said, uh, yeah, can, can you get me uh, some shaving cream and a razor? And she did this double take and she's like, I'm sorry, what was that? Uh -huh. I said, can you give me some shaving cream and a razor? And our ranger standards in our blue book was rangers will shave every single day sure. to include weekends, holidays. And that was what was in my mind was I didn't know who was going to come visit me in that room. Yeah. Had it been a, a general, a colonel, somebody not from my unit, I was representing my unit. and. Uh, that discipline was still in my mind. And so uh, I learned how to shave left-handed that day and I got to call my wife. And that, that was uh, really difficult because I knew rear detachment would go to our house and knock on the door and notify her about my injuries. Mm -hmm. She said that was the hardest day of her life. Uh, my mother-in-law would sometimes come in to help out with the kids. We had four young kids at the time and it was Memorial Day back home at this point. Yeah, sure, only a few days removed, yep. And so they're having coffee. It's early in the morning. They're in their nightgowns. You didn't have a chance to speak to her first. No. Right? No. And they came walking up the front steps. And they'll normally do that. They'll go in uh, fatigues if you're injured and dress okay. uniform if okay. you kill sure. the action. Sure. So she got the knock at the door. And she went to the peephole. And all she saw was a ranger tambourine. She didn't even look at the uniform. She backed away from the door. And she yeah. said, Mom, send the kids upstairs. Mm. You're going to have to get the door. And... Uh, I knew that was going to happen, just and so I, uh, when I got that chance to call her, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to put her mind at ease that I'm doing okay and I'm in good spirits. And so I called her and I said, she answered the phone. I said, "Honey, I'm in Germany. I, I got shot through both my upper thighs and I lost my right hand." And so the phone goes dead silent. And I'm hamsters running on the treadmill yeah. upstairs, yeah. trying to think of yeah. what I could say, and I finally said to her, uh, the good news is the junk's still there. At that point, she realized he's going to be okay. <laughs> he's doing all right if, if you can joke about it. That's so, right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. It, it was great, though. I, I tell people, though, that I, I didn't do anything alone in the military. Sure. Uh, it was always a team effort. People taught me uh, how to be a soldier and how to be a leader. And even through that medevac, I didn't get myself off that battlefield. I didn't go through my recovery alone. Everything I did in my military career, and to include my life, I wasn't alone. Yeah. There was always people I could rely on, and that, that's what made it a lot easier. Absolutely. 
Master Sergeant Leroy Petrie, uh, Medal of Honor recipient, Medal of uh, Purple Heart recipient as well. It's just been an incredible honor and now the president uh, here for the Congressional Medal of Honor Society and continues to serve. So we thank you for what you've done for our country. We thank you for what you continue to do. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Honor's mine. Thank you. I'm Brian Jodis. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. We're on the USS Yorktown in Charleston, South Carolina.